Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. If you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, um, and this is your first time, you're probably hearing a lot about a 21-day fast. And during this 21-day fast, what we're doing is that we are abstaining from certain foods, and we are seeking God in prayer for one big purpose, and that is for a breakthrough. And what is a breakthrough? Well, a breakthrough is an act of moving through or past an obstacle. A breakthrough is when you're able to move past or through an obstacle that you haven't been able to before. If you've ever watched the Olympics, there's two types of jumpers. There's the, the, the first jumper is the guy that jumps a bar that is about eight feet high and he runs and he propels himself with as much strength as he can and he's able to jump over that bar. But there's a second type of jumper, the pole vault jumper. And the pole vault jumper doesn't jump an eight foot barrier, but he jumps an 18 foot barrier. And the pole vault jumper, he, he, he lines himself up. He takes down the road with the, with the pole in his hand, which he sticks into a hole and he uses it to propel himself above the 18 foot bar. There's some mountains and problems and areas in our lives that we have to jump in our flesh. And we've treated them as if they were an eight-foot barrier. But we've been trying over years, and some of you, it's been maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or as long as you've been married, and you haven't been able to just get over that bar. And what you need is something to propel you above your ability so that you're able to get what we are calling in this series a breakthrough. In, in, in Olympics terms or in the illustration that I'm using, you need a pole. You know what that pole is? That pole is fasting and prayer. And when we fast and when we pray, seeking God, we are able to be elevated Higher than our flesh can, higher than our abilities can, higher than we can on our own. And God shows up and God gives us freedom and God gives us victory and God fights on our behalf. Anybody this morning need God to move on their behalf? You know, there's things in my life that God has given me victory, but there's things in my life that the enemy is fighting me hard about. And I can't defeat him in my own strength. I can't defeat him with just casual uh, uh, prayer. And that is why I'm seeking God. That is why we've decided to say, okay, we're, we're going to abstain from that food and we're going to spend some time with God because we are believing that God is going to show up and he's going to show down in our lives. Yes. Amen. And listen, there's examples in the Bible. There's examples in the Bible where God gave a breakthrough to men and women. And by the way, let me say this. During this fast, during our breakthrough, we seek him. 
breakthrough. We seek who? Him. Because he is our breakthrough. If your hope has just because you're not eating certain foods, that's just going to allow God to show up, then, then, then you're wrong. Because it is the leaving of foods and going after the bread of life that is that allows the breakthrough. Anybody agree with me this morning? Amen. And listen, breakthroughs don't just happen. You know this. Some of you, you've been wishing it. You, you, you've been, Lord, this is the year. This is the year I get out of debt. This is the year my marriage turns around. This is the year I get out of depression. This is the year that I start making good choices. This is the year that, I, that I'm finally free from my addictions. But that's all that it's become. It's become kind of a wish and a desire. And breakthroughs need to be seeked. And they are seeked by seeking who? God. So in the Bible, we have plenty of examples of, of how different men and women got breakthroughs from God. What I want to do today and over the next two weeks is I want us to look at one character, at one individual, and his name is Jehoshaphat. And we're going to see how God gave him a breakthrough. What there's, there's a couple of things that he did, but when I was reading this passage, there was three showed me that he's inviting us to do so that we can receive our breakthrough so that God can show up in our life. Anybody ready for that? Amen. So, so it's King Jehoshaphat. Well, let me tell you who King Jehoshaphat was. First of all, he was the fourth king uh, uh, of the of the Judah region when after after the two kingdoms had split the kingdom um, had split into two. Um, Jehoshaphat was the fourth king in the Judah region, and his father was King Asa. Now Jehoshaphat was thirty five years old when he came into the kingdom, when his father passed, and he became the king. Jehoshaphat was about 35 years old, and the Bible tells us that he reigned for 25 years. Now, listen to this. If you are familiar with all the kings of the two kingdoms, there were more bad kings than there were good kings. Jehoshaphat was one of the good ones. Not only was he a good but he was a godly leader. He seeked the Lord. He got rid of all the pagan areas that the Israelites had. And, he, and he, he set judges in the towns so that people could hear from God, so that people could seek God. Jehoshaphat was a godly, good leader. But still, Jehoshaphat found himself in a situation where he needed a breakthrough. Listen to this. This is, this is going to be a blessing to some of you. Some of us, because we're doing something bad, but because we're doing something good. And the enemy is not happy with you. You have pissed off the enemy. You are a threat to the enemy. That ought to make you feel good. You, you, he, let me tell you something. He is more afraid of you than you ought to be of him. And some the enemy has come to attack. He's come to bring issues into your life where, where we need God to show up and to move in our lives, not because we're doing something bad, but because we're doing something good. And the enemy doesn't like it. Now, there's two reasons why you need a breakthrough. Okay. The first one is, as I mentioned, because you're living a godly life. 
because you value God, because you spend time in the word, because you live a life of worship, because you are connected to the family of God, which is the church. And because you are obeying God's laws and the enemy is ticked off. The Bible tells us in John 8, 44, it's not in your outlines, but it says that he is a from the beginning. And John also tells us in John 10, 10, not in your outlines, it's only come, he, it says, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Whenever the enemy offers you something, as good as it may appear, it is only to kill you, steal something, and destroy you. And some we are doing the right thing. We are living godly lives. And the reason we need a breakthrough is because the enemy is ticked off at us. Okay? Now, living a godly life doesn't mean you're not going to have afflictions. Okay? Psalms 34, 19. I, don't, I believe it's not in your outlines, but they should put it up here in the screen. says this. Many afflictions of the righteous. Okay? Okay? Church, can I challenge us to be a little bit more? You know, people, I'm good, brother. We're not always good. We're not always good. Some of you, you you got a smile on this morning, but you're not good. Because even as righteous people, we struggle and we deal with addictions. Pastor, if being righteous or unrighteous means you have to deal with, with affliction, then why can't we just enjoy the flesh? Well, here's why. Look at the second part. But the Lord delivers him of them all. When you're righteous, when you are seeking God, there isn't an attack of the enemy that God will not deliver you from. Hope. That is the good news of living a godly life. Plus, there's another benefit of living a godly life and having afflictions. Can I show it to you? Here's another verse. I don't think you're out, but it should be up here on the screen. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Anybody run into problems already in this year? Right? For we know, here's what we know, that they help us. Wait a minute. I don't feel like my dad's situation has helped me. At least not in my physical eyes can't see any aspect of how that situation, that affliction has helped us. But we don't live by sight. For we know, for we know that they help us to what? To develop what? Endurance. You can't see endurance in a day. You can't see endurance in a week. But you can eventually and endurance develops strength of character. In character, strength, confident hope of what? Salvation. Listen, I know you're not going to like this, but this is so true. There are things that God wants to show us through our suffering. In fact, let me go a step higher. There are things we cannot learn unless we go through suffering. And God takes the afflictions that come on the righteous, and not only does he deliver them, but he uses them for their good. Now, the second reason you might be needing a breakthrough is because on the opposite side of living a godly life, you're living according to your flesh. You're living 
an unrighteous and ungodly life. And not Jesus, but you and your desire are the Lord of your life. You do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, and no one can tell you anything about it. And when we live that way, we get ourselves. Listen, let me tell you something. If you are living according to your flesh, you don't need the devil in your life. Okay? When we live according to our flesh, we are really good at bringing afflictions into our life. And look at what the Bible says in Galatians 6, verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their their own sinful nature will harvest what? Decay and death from that sinful nature. Hey, you can't be nasty and expect good to come out. You can't be rude. Return. You can't be undisciplined and expect things to be ordered in your life. And Paul says, hey, if you live to satisfy your desires, to satisfy your own cravings, to satisfy what you want, he says, you're going you're gonna to reap out of, the, out of those actions. And what you reap is always what? Death and decay. Because the wage of sin is always what? Death. Let's get back to Jehoshaphat. Let's read. We're going to read a couple of verses in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 and 4. Over the next few weeks, we're going to read chapter. I want to encourage you in your own personal time to read all of chapter 20. You can read the two previous chapters as well. I believe it's going to minister to your life. For today's message, we're just going to read um, verses 1 and 4. Look at what it says. It says, after this. Okay, let me stop right there. After this means after all the righteous and godly things King Jehoshaphat had done. Okay, have you ever, have you ever like decided God and started taking right steps and then suddenly all of hell breaks loose in your life? That's not what you're expecting, right? You're expecting for heaven to come down. You're expecting for a cloud to lift you up. You weren't expecting... For hell to break loose. And King Jehoshaphat has done the right things. And it says, and after this, after good that he had done, look at what happened. The Moabites and the Ammonites, and let me stop here again. You know who these brothers are? They're distant brothers of the Israelites. They're descendants of Lot's sons. Here's another thing the Lord showed me. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it sad? The, the afflictions that come in our life usually come through our Those that should be cheering us on the most, sometimes stomping us the hardest. Moabites and the Ammonites, and with some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude. Now, let me give you some perspective of what a great multitude is. If you read the previous chapter, it it tells us how many skilled soldiers King Jehoshaphat counted with. And if you add those, 
it adds up to over a million skilled warriors. That was not all of them. There was more. But those were the ones that are counted. If you got an army of a million warriors, you ought to feel pretty confident, right? But look at what this passage says. It says that although he had something strong and good on his side, there was something that seemed greater that was coming against him. It says a great multitude. They couldn't be counted. In comparison to those that were coming against King Jehoshaphat in Judah, the army that they had was small. And he says, great multitude is coming against you from Edom. And behold, they are in Tamar, that is, and Gedi. Now, in these short passages, we see that King Jehoshaphat needs a breakthrough. He is in desperate need of a breakthrough. And in verse 20, it's not right there in your audience, but I think they're going to put it up there. In verse 20, utters the following words. He says, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking. We know not what to do. Have you ever felt that way? Like, like, I don't know what I'm going to do about this chronic illness. I don't know what I'm going to do about my rebellious teenager. I don't know what I'm going to do about, about my depression. I don't know what I'm going to do about my addiction. I don't know what to do. And I don't have the strength. I don't have the skills. I don't have the courage to do something about it. I don't know what to do. That's where King Jehoshaphat, a righteous man, a godly king, found himself in. And listen, sometimes your dreams come true. And sometimes your worst nightmares come true. And when they do, we need a breakthrough. And let me tell you something. King Jehoshaphat said, hey, we don't know what to do. We don't know that we could even do anything. And when something feels too big for you, you need to remember that what is impossible for man is possible for God. And as I was thinking about the story of of Jehoshaphat and what he said, I was reminded of what Jeremiah said, of what Jeremiah understood. And the following verse is in your outlines in Jeremiah 32, 7. Look at what Jeremiah said. He said, oh, sovereign Lord. You know what sovereign means? That means that God is above everything and anything. Okay, whatever you're dealing with, God is above that. Whatever is coming against you, God is above that. That means that God needs to ask no permission of anybody. He doesn't need to check with anybody because God is above all things. And Jeremiah says, oh, sovereign Lord, oh, my goodness. If we would only utter those words, Lord, I know I got an addiction, but you are sovereign. You are above my addiction. Lord, I know I got a need, but you are sovereign and you are above my need. And he says, oh, sovereign Lord, look at this. You made the heavens. Okay, Jeremiah is not talking about the sky. He's talking about the galaxies. If God can handle the galaxies, 
He can handle your situation. If God can keep the stars and the universe on track, can keep you from what's attacking you. And he says, you've made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and alarm. And look at this last part. Nothing is too hard for you. Okay, a couple of people got it. The rest of you, you'll get it. Nothing is too hard for me. I got a question for you. Is your situation too hard for God to handle? Is your need too big for God to meet it? Is your illness too far in for God to heal it? Is your family member too far for God to reach them and bring them back in? Is your dream too big or too late for God to make it a reality? So because nothing is too hard for God, we got to believe and we got to seek breakthrough. What was it that King Jehoshaphat did that gave him a breakthrough? Well, today we're going to look at the first thing. Next week, we'll look at number two. And then the following week on our last Sunday of, of, of the fast, we'll look at number three. Please fill this out in your outlines. Jehoshaphat got a breakthrough because he responded to his situation by seeking God. He responded to his situation by seeking God. Hey, when, when the nightmare became true in your life, how did you respond? When you heard the bad news, how did you respond? And yet, even more importantly, how are you responding to your need? How are you responding to the mountain that is in front of you? In happy moments, you got to praise God, okay? Not go to Vegas, not go to Disneyland, not go to the beach, because that's what a lot of people do. God does something good, and the first thing they do is they go celebrate far from God. I, it reminded me of the 10 uh, leprous men that Jesus healed, remember? 10 of them had leprosy, and they all got healed, and how many came back praising God? You be that one. You be the one. Other people may, give, may, may go to Vegas. Other people may go to Disneyland. Other people may go to the beach. But when God is good in your life, you respond by praising him. Amen. In moments, you praise God. In quiet moments, you worship God. In painful moments, trust God. If you're in a painful moment, you do not need to understand why. It will not alleviate you of what's going on. What you need, confidence and God's hope. So in painful moments, you trust God. But in difficult moments, you seek God. Whenever we go through a difficult time, we seek God. Why? us that God is our refuge in times of need. And when we go through difficult times, we got to seek God. Now, let me give you a pastoral warning. I want to tell you this because I love you. If the only time you seek God is in difficult moments, God is going to allow difficult moments to come to your life because he wants to fellowship with you. If difficult moments is what it takes for you to seek God in fellowship, 
God is going to allow difficult circumstances to come because what he wants is to be with you and for you to be with him. Amen. Amen. Okay, only three people got that. I'm going to be praying for all the rest, 150 of you, okay? I know know that one stung. I know it stung, right? And and listen, some of you, 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 you're going from affliction to affliction because that's the only time you fellowship with God, and God wants to fellowship with you. And if you seek him in good and in bad, then then less afflictions will come into your life. Let's look at how King Jehoshaphat responded to the bad news. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. We can all identify with that. We'll speak about fear in just a minute. But look at what he did. And set his face. He made a declaration. He determined himself to what? To seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Okay. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do this today. I've already heard some complaints. Pastor, are you making the kids fast? Are you making the youth fast? Because it's my job to lead you to doing godly things. And King Jehoshaphat, he, and and listen, the way I'm doing it is not the way King Jehoshaphat did it. Because he said, hey, by the king's order, all of you, you got to fast. And guess what? Everybody fasted. I'm not threatening your life. I'm trying to encourage you to fast. But, but, But he... He declared a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to what? In two verses, in two verses, we hear over and over, seek seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Why? Because when we need a breakthrough, the first thing we got to do is not whine about it, not complain about it, not get all sad about it. It's to seek the Lord. Look at verse 12. For we have no power. We already looked at this verse, but look at what it says. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We know not what to do, but here's what we do know to do. Our eyes are on you. Our eyes are you. How did Jehoshaphat respond to the threat that, that, listen, not only was his kingdom at stake, his family was at stake, his life was at stake. And how did he respond? He responded by seeking the Lord. How did he seek the Lord? Well, if you read the passage, we learn that he humbled himself, that he declared the fast, that he prayed. They met the temple. He went to church, in other words. Because he understood that 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 was the house of God. And yes, verse 3 says that he was afraid. But he didn't stay there. He didn't camp out in his fear. And most people, the way they respond to their situation is with fear or worry. And you know the problem with these two feelings? You know the problem with these two actions? First of all, fear is the worst. 
Fear always believes the worst. Fear never believes the least worst possible outcome. No, it always believes the worst possible outcome. Oh, this is it. This is it. We're not going to make it. (laughs) Because that's what fear does. In fact, here's an acronym for what fear stands for. Look at this. The false evidence appearing real. Fear causes you to look at things and see them in their worst possible outcome. Okay? And the Bible says, the Bible says that that in Psalms 23, David says that we shouldn't be afraid because God is with us. So listen, don't fear God is near. In fact, you shouldn't be afraid of your problems. You shouldn't be afraid of your enemies. Your enemies need to be afraid that God walks with you. That God is with you. Then the problem with worry is that worry is pointless. It's pointless. Worry achieves nothing. Worry is like sitting in a rocking chair with a lot of action but no movement. And that's what some people do. They worry. They worry their hairs off. They, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you do nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Worry is one of the most pointless activities or things to do because it achieves nothing. You might as well go sit in a rocking chair. Listen, instead of worrying, what we need to do is focus on God. Not focus on our problems, but focus on God. Now, let me give you a a secret. You don't resist fear. You don't say, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. Because you use psychology on yourself, right? And what ends up happening? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm worried. The more you tell yourself not to do something, the more you what? Do it, right? Those of you that, 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 that you've dealt with addictions, you know that's true, right? I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. What do you do? You don't, you don't resist. You don't Worry, what you do is you refocus. Instead of saying, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to fear, you go and you seek God. You spend time with God. You open up your Bible. You put on a worship song. You put on a message. You get your journal and you start writing to God. You seek God. Now, I know that seeking God is one of those terms that we use in the Bible that it gets thrown out a lot, but not everybody really understands. So what I want to do today is, is... tell you what it means to seek God, okay? It's really simple. Fill this out in your outlines. To seek God is to set my mind and heart on God. Isn't that simple? To seek God is to set my mind and heart on God. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you don't know what Old Testament and New Testament is, you need to come to our 201 class, okay? But both the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament tell us that seeking God is to set our mind and to set our heart on God. Let me show you a few verses, okay? First Chronicles 22:19. Now set your mind and heart to the Lord your God. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you race with Christ, 
Seek the things that are what? Above. Above. Where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. To seek God is to make a conscious decision to fix our focus, to fix our affection towards God. And by the way, that's 21 days of fasting. If you get caught up in thinking, I, I can't eat this, I can't eat that, and I got to eat these horrible cabbages, and I got to eat this nasty broccoli, and I got to eat these nasty corns, you're not going to make it. That's not the goal. The food, not the goal. The goal is that when we crave something, we remind ourselves that we need to crave for him. That when we have hunger pains, that we allow those hunger pains to remind us of what is illing us and what is afflicting us and that our hope is only in him and that we go seek him. When you get that, when you understand that my hope, that my heart, that my mind needs to be set on God, fasting is going to be a delight to you. By the way, if you are not fasting, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to jump on board. Maybe it's not going to be 21 days for you, but it'll be 14 days. And still do it. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. Oh, it's too late. You already failed. Maybe 2020, you'll get your breakthrough. No, you still can. God's grace is abundant. Amen? If you're fasting, hang in there. Yesterday was tough for me. Yesterday... I'm going to confess to you guys, okay? Because I got to confess, okay? I was out and about. I didn't sin. I can tell you in advance I didn't cheat, okay? I was out and about all day. And I was in a couple of meetings where they had so much free food. And one of them, they even said, please, take it home. (laughs) And the enemy's alive, man. You know what he whispered in my ear? Why don't you take some for your daughters? You'll be a good daddy. And I said, yeah, I want to be a good daddy. Let me take, let me take some juices. Let me take some stuff from my daughters. And, and guess what? They were right there next to my car while I was stuck in traffic. And what started a good thing, because the devil is a liar, and he only comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. I was there, and I was like, oh, my goodness, those figs look so good. The fig bars... I bet if I take one, no one will know. (laughs) Then I heard the Holy Spirit whisper. Yeah, but you'll know. And God will know. And I said, Satan, I rebuke you. And I threw him in the back so I wouldn't see him. (laughs) Man. I was watching the Rams win last night. Any, hey, man. Anybody get tempted by all those Cars Jr. commercials? Jeez. Now, here's, give you another. here's what you got to watch out for. Here's what you got to watch out in seeking God. One of the things that we are struggling not just in our times, but I I think it's a lot more evident in our times, is that we often, our lips declare that we're seeking God, but our heart and our mind are not. 
I meet a lot of people who have the vocabulary that they're seeking God. They post the stuff. They know the right words. They know the, when to say the amen. They know when to clap. They know when to jump a little bit. But their heart and their mind are not seeking God. And they say, no, no, no. I'm believing God for a breakthrough. God is my king. But then they get invited somewhere and they forget about God. I'm seeking God and my breakthrough is in God. But then worship night comes along and I got to wake up early tomorrow. I know it's tough. I'm expecting amens right there. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus warned us. And many Christians. Just because they've come to know God, they don't seek him anymore. And they know him as their savior, but they're not actively and aggressively seeking him. And we do it with our lips. We do it with our mouths. But our attention and our affection are not directed towards God. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18. He says, these people draw near to my mouth. Honor me with their lips. You know why? Because that's easy. It's a lot easier to say, I'm going to seek God than it is to seek God. It's a lot easier to say, God, you are going to move in my life than to move your life so that God can act in your life. And Jesus said, these people, they they draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is what? Now, let me tell you something. Why we should seek God. You want to know why? Because he aggressively seeked us. And that ought to break us. And that ought to encourage us. If you are here today, it's not because you seek God. It's because God went after you. And when you kept denying him, and when you kept calling him crazy, and when you kept saying he doesn't exist, he kept showing up in your life, and he kept giving you opportunities, and he kept being in your life until he got a hold of you, and he brought you into his kingdom, and he turned your life around. And we are here today, not because we seeked him, but because he aggressively went after us. And here's the thing. God aggressively goes after us. And then he says, now, now that I found you, I want you to go after me. And I want you to seek me the way I seek you. And listen, there's so much grace that goes into the thought that God seeked us. Okay, if your car is empty and you are in a gas station, there's nothing special about that. You are in need, okay? But you never see a gas station go after empty cars. And yet, God went after us. Not because he needed us, but because we needed him. And that is the type of love, that is the type that he has displayed. And now he says, I want you to aggressively seek me. Did you know? That the Hebrew word for seek is an aggressive word. It means not this occasional, passive, whatever type of seeking. Here's the idea that the Hebrew word for seeking illustrates. If you lose 
your one and only child. I know some of you got like 10, so you're like, if I lose one, it's all right. <laughs> Hopefully the family that finds gives them a better life. Let the Lord's will be done. But, but those, if you only had one child, if you only had one child, okay, and he's about four or five, or she's about four or five years old, and you lose him in the mall, you lose her in the mall, how are you going to look for them? Yeah. Where is your attention going to be focused? On the cells? You see, most of us, we say we're looking at God, but we're really window shopping through life. How are you going to invest your time if your five, four-year-old child is lost? Okay. That's the way that God calls us to seek him. So can I ask you a really convicting question? If we seek our child the way we seek God, what would be the outcome of our child? If you had to search for your lost child and you did it the way you're seeking God, what would be the outcome of your child? All right, let me finish on a good note because I know I've hit a few home runs today. Some of you are going to walk out with crutches. It's all right. <laughs> the Lord beat me up today. Let me give you two benefits of seeking God. Number one, and there's many, but I, I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm just going to give you two really quick ones. The first benefit of seeking God is guidance. When you seek God, you will have guidance. This past Wednesday, if you weren't here, you missed a really good one. You missed a good one. And we're going to put it up on, on our podcast so that you can listen to it. And by the way, brother, again, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. So if you missed it or you enjoyed it, he's going to be back with us. Um, but he spoke to us about what to do when you need clarity. And let me tell you something. When you seek God, you will find guidance. Look at what Proverbs 3, 6 says. Seek God. In what? Some of the things you do. In the church stuff you do. In the things you can't handle. In the things that you haven't dealt with before. He says, see God in all you do. And what's going to be the outcome? He will show you which path to take. You want to know why? Because there's many options to your problems. But there's only one good one, and God will show you what is it. You want me to tell you something? Listen, because many of us are not seeking God. We're fighting battles we were not meant to fight. And when you see God, you, you say, God, is this a battle that I need to fight? I told that to my dad yesterday. I said, well, God, because they were, well, we're thinking, should we do this? Should we do that? And I said, ask God. Let's go. You want to know why? When you ask God, and he tells you no, come, it's good. And when you ask God and he tells you yes, the outcome is still good. And some of us were fighting battles that God didn't even mean for us to fight. And when you seek God and God gives you the okay, let me tell you, when you seek God, God, what do I do about this? What you just did. 
You just opened up yourself so that God can move on your behalf. So that God can give you victory. And here's what you got to know. You are a son and a daughter of God. And somebody comes against you and you run a daddy seeking him. They're not fighting you anymore. They're fighting your daddy. And you and I, we got a daddy who's never lost the battle. Amen. Let me tell you something. When people come after my, my kids, I'm not a pastor anymore, okay? I'm not. I don't play fair. I'll kick where I shouldn't kick, and I'll throw things I shouldn't throw. Because nobody comes between me and my kids. And when we seek God, you run a daddy, and you got a good, strong daddy. Amen? Yeah. Second benefit is rewards. Or the language that we prefer, blessings. Look at what Hebrews 11 6 says. God rewards those who diligently, what does diligently mean? Not once a month coming to church. That's not diligently. Some of you, 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 you encounter the cold and headaches more than you encounter Jesus in a month. Any amens? Okay, just a few. It's all right, it's all right. God rewards those who what? Diligently seek him. Okay, let me tell you something. Very, there are things money can't buy. But God gives those things to those who seek him. Okay, money can't buy you purpose. Money can't buy you peace. Money can't buy you unity. Money can't buy you certain healing. But God rewards those that seek him with those things. Stop looking in places that can't give you what you need and start looking at God where all your treasures and all your rewards are found. Amen. Is anybody a fan of of, uh, wrestling? I used to be. I used to be. Not anymore. My favorite wrestler was uh, um, the ultimate warrior. I remember... I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you know this or not. But wrestling is staged. It's fake. Okay? If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. If you don't believe that wrestling is staged, you need to come see me. I'm going to pray for you in my office after church. Wrestling is staged, right? They have predetermined who is going to win? The person that is going to win when the battle is going on, they're not fighting or they're not after their victory. But they're fighting and they're acting from a position of victory. Because it has already been predetermined who's going to win. And all they're doing is giving you and me a show so that you and I can enjoy, or those of you that enjoy, can enjoy the fight. Let me tell you something. When you see God and when you make your dwelling place in God, your victory is already determined. And you don't fight for it. You fight from it. But God allows us to have to walk through it so that others can see the glory of God. 
and so that others can know God in our, through our lives. When you see God, you already are in a place of victory because we got a champion who's got no enemy that can stand against him. Church, we need to see God with our heart, with our mind, and we got to do it aggressively. Amen? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.